Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. You are all witness right now. I'm setting a nice like reminder of time for myself. Um, this is my second time back in front of you guys, and, and I'm honored to do it. My name's Dylan. If you haven't met me, I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Um, and last time I was up here, I preached for like 54 minutes. So I have to beat it this week, right? So this week I have to do like 60 or 70 minutes. You guys ready for that? No, I'm just kidding. I set this so I would stay within like 30 minutes, um, and we would all get to go home and take our Sunday afternoon nap and maybe watch football if you're interested. That's what I'm going to do. Anyone watch football? No, we're in Canada, so I guess that makes sense. Um, hockey, is there a hockey game today? Anyone know? I guess not. Well, I'm glad to be here, um, be here with you. My name is Dylan, like I said. And um, as I'm reading in the scriptures, we're, we're in James again. We're working through the book of James. And the chapter I'm talking about deals with um, a lot of judgments and things we kind of like, quick judgments we make and favoritism we play. And I started thinking in my life, this is somewhere I kind of have issues does anyone else feel that way? Like sometimes I can be quick to judge. Please don't make me feel alone. Like you guys have to respond. I know there's other people out there. Like sometimes we're quick to judge. And I want to share a little story of how it affected my life. But then um, I had to lose those judgments and, and it led to an awesome person. So one of my really good friends, I shared a story last time. He was in it. His name's Bo. He's in a lot of my stories because he's crazy and he's weird. And we're weird and crazy together. So I have a lot of stories with Bo. And this is the story of how we met. So in university, the week, or like a month before you go, you go to what they call orientation, and you go for like two days, and you register for classes, and you get to see the campus of the university, and you hopefully make friends. They're trying to like hype up the whole thing to you and make it feel like really awesome, and it's not. Like it's really awkward, and they make you feel really uncomfortable, and you have to go to all these weird events. Well, Bo was in my orientation group, and I met him for the first time, and he started asking me if I was going to the party later. And I was like, look, man, I don't party. I don't do that kind of stuff. And he's like, well, there's going to be all kinds of girls and drinks there. And I was like, look, Bo, I don't know you, man, but I don't do that. And, and I just made these, like, immediate judgments of him. I was like, man, this Bo guy is weird. All he likes to do is party. And he, like, had a toothpick in his mouth. And I was like, mm, bad guy. I don't want to hang out with this guy. So fast forward three weeks later, first week of university, I step into a Christian ministry event. There's a big barbecue that the, the Christian ministry on campus was hosting, and I was like, yeah, free food, make great friends, and great start to university. Guess who was the first person I saw as soon as I walked into that room? Bo Griswold. His last name is Griswold. It's crazy. So I walk in and Bo's sitting there spread out in one of the chairs with a toothpick in his mouth, like in his slicked, greasy hair, and he's like, hey, what's up? And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's following me everywhere. I do not want to be friends with him. And through all of that, um, he learned that I'm also a difficult person, and he probably had some quick judgments of me. Um, and I say this because I know Bo is going to listen to this, and we can all laugh that he is weird. And I'm also weird too. But I have a great picture to show. This is our friendship now. See, look how cute we are, right? It's like we got married instead of married to our wives. So this is at mine and Autumn's wedding, and this is at his and his wife's Hannah's wedding. And so we were both in each other's weddings. We're best friends. We love each other. 
but it started off on this really awful like friendship like we hated each other and it was because we both made these quick judgments about each other of each other's character and we just like pushed each other aside like no I don't want to be friends with this guy but now we're best friends and I started to think about this week how many times in my life do I make those kind of quick judgments like that do I kind of dismiss people or do I play favorites in my life um, when people come into it, or do I push people out because it's easier? And I started thinking that um, we're in James chapter 2 this week, and we are going to see um, that faith produces, this week, it produces love. That's what we're going to learn and talk about. So this week we're learning faith produces love, and we'll see in James chapter 2, and we'll learn about discrimination and judgments and how to respond in those. Um, it was a good lesson for me. Like I said, I, I struggle with this a lot. So this, I definitely feel like, was the Lord speaking it to me first and then come before you guys and be like, hey, I have issues here too, like we're not alone. So know whenever I preach or teach you guys, it's never at you or directed like you should be doing better or I do this and you should. Like it's I'm growing with you. The Lord is teaching this scripture to me and then I come and teach it to you. So never feel like I'm judging you or that you should be better or you should be like me. I'm learning it too. So let you guys okay with learning it together this morning? This only works if you guys respond. So that's how I preach. If you don't respond, it's going to be really uncomfortable for me. So please don't do that. Um, we're going to be in James chapter 2, and then, um, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13. And I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to break it down and explain it. So starting in verse 1, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes in your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? who dishonor the poor, but you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into the court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law and f as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of the laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. There's a lot of scriptures, 13 verses. We're going to step back and take like chunks at a time and, and learn from each one of them. But really the whole message together comes in the end and shows that faith produces love. And these discriminations and things that we see are a lack of love. And in verses 1 through 7, the first verse simply says it. You know, you can't claim faith in Jesus if we favor others or if we discriminate. It's pretty simple right there. Like the first verse, he starts it up like, if you're doing this, like you can't claim faith in Jesus. You can't claim to be a follower of him if we are not welcoming to people, if we are showing favoritism to people. And then it sets up a nice story for the time of if a rich person came into the room and a less fortunate person came into the room and you gave them the best seat and you favored them more and told the less fortunate person, like, oh, you can go sit in the back corner. Like, 
that comes from a discrimination. And I wanted to break that down into a little more simpler, like what we could think of today. And I try to think of like a Canadian person that everyone would know because I'm American and, and I didn't want to give American references. So I thought of Justin Trudeau since it was the elections, right? Everyone knows him. Do you know Justin Trudeau? Whatever you feel about him, I don't care. We still all know him. And he is pretty famous and um, has a lot of influence. So I, I came up with this scenario. If for some strange, crazy reason, Justin, Justin Trudeau walked in to the door and then behind him came a less fortunate person. And he came in, and the first thing, like, we all start talking to him, like, oh, man, we're so glad you're here. I have the best muffin for you, man. The orange and cranberry one is the best. You can have the whole one, not even half of one. You can take the whole thing. And then we give him, like, the best seat, like, kind of on the aisle but in the front so you can still, like, slip out and, like, get, get a drink or two, like, not right in the front because no one sits here, obviously. So that's not the best seat. The best seat would be to the aisle. We give him that one, and then we're, like, talking to him and making him feel welcomed and loved. And the less fortunate person would kind of say, oh, you can go sit in that, on that bench in the back with everyone's stuff. And um, you can have, like, a glass of lukewarm water. You can't have coffee or hot chocolate, but you can have, like, lukewarm water because we want to make sure Justin Trudeau gets all the good hot chocolate and the good muffins. So you can have, like, you can have the grapes. No one wants the grapes, right? So you can have those. And, and, and that kind of, like, you know, is simple, but, like, maybe it's because we want something from, you know, Justin Trudeau. We'd be like, maybe I'll get a lifelong Metro Pass. That'd be pretty sweet. That's a lot of money. Or maybe for me, he'd give me, like, permanent residency. That'd be pretty sweet, right? Like, I could be here for good and not have to worry about it. Um, and all of those kind of come from a selfish motive. It comes from us not treating everyone equally because we want something from that person. Or we think like the person can give us something. So it's breaking down this situation for us in these verses because it's happening in the church. He wouldn't write this and send it to the church if it wasn't actually happening. So he's saying wealthy people with influence are coming in and you're showing more favorites to them than the people who are less fortunate. And aren't the rich ones the ones who actually oppress you? Like don't they cause you more problems? For the kingdom of heaven is the poor's. Because they're poor in spirit. It talks about in scripture the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom because they know all they need is Jesus. A lot of times things can get in our way. So in the same way, we kind of play favorites because we think about what we can get from someone. And honestly, like, sometimes it's kind of easier for us to play favorites, right? Some people are a little more difficult. If you've met me, you know that's true. Sometimes it's a little harder, harder to get along with people. But in reality, sometimes it's easier for us to not give up something to accept other people. Sometimes it's easier for us to not give up our comfort, to not give up our opinions or maybe even our cultural things that are comfortable for us. Or maybe even it's harder for us to admit that we do discriminate. It's easier for us to stay in this realm of like our comfort and our security and our culture that we know instead of accepting and welcoming all people who look very different from us. Because it means making us uncomfortable. And I like to be in my comfort zone. I like to have my ways that are normal. Listen to my music, eat my food, whatever it is. Like whatever's holding us back from accepting, it's a, it usually has to do with selfish things and what we're comfortable with. But the truth is that Jesus calls us to love and accept all. If we look at verse 9, it says, But you, if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Jesus says, like, love your neighbor as yourself. And, like, right here it says, if you are favoring other people, you're committing a sin. 
where would we be if Jesus played the same favorites that we do, right? Like sometimes I look at people and I'm like, man, they're really different from me. Maybe they look different. Maybe they smell a little weird. And I don't really want to hang out with them. Like what if Jesus looked at me the same way? He was like, man, that Dylan guy, he has a really big head. He's weird looking. Sometimes he smells too. Like <laughs> what if he viewed us in the same way we often set like judgments for people so quickly instead of with like grace that he gives us? The true gift of Jesus has no discrimination. It has no partiality. It plays no favorites. It doesn't depend on your gender, on your color, your wealth, or your position. It doesn't matter. Jesus came to give the gift for all. So in our lives, are we inviting those people who are different, or are we inviting those people who it's easy? When we bring people into our homes like community group or we invite them over for dinner, are we looking for people that are the easiest for us, those that do the same things we do, have a lot in common with us, which I get it, like we relate easier to people who are similar. But do we often dismiss those who are a lot different? Do we often dismiss those who are less fortunate because maybe it means giving up something? Maybe it means giving up a little more time or maybe a little bit of our finances that we so often like grip so tightly. Do we treat all people with the same, like, favor, or do we only welcome in, like, what is very easy and comfortable for us? Because the truth in it is we are united in Christ, right? You can say right, okay. We are united in Christ, and we must have this unity within the church. This, This letter is written to an established church. And it's for the people within the church. And of course, we need to have unity and not show favoritism and discrimination outside the church as well. But this must be true within the church, within the body of believers. We must have unity. It should be a picture to the world of love without discrimination that we so often see the world like fighting for. We see our world like in desperate like search for like acceptance and welcoming and love and like a lack of discrimination and our church should be the perfect picture of that. People should walk into a room and be like, wow, you guys are all very different. What brings you together? Why do you look so different? Why is this person here and this person here? And I hear so many different languages like our church should be the picture of love without discrimination that our world so often looks for. And it says it again in John chapter 13, verse 35. It says they will know we are Christians by our love. And so often it's easy for me to extend love outside of the church. Does anyone else feel that way? Like loving the needy, loving the community, serving them, whatever it is. But then sometimes when we're inside these walls or like people I think should maybe know better, I don't extend as much love. But in reality, the world sees the love of Jesus by how we love each other. By how we as Christians love and express his love towards each other, the world will get a picture of what his community and acceptance looks like. So if we're not starting in here with our people and in community groups and discipleship, if we're not starting with his love and his non-discrimination, like we are not going to be able to go out in the world and do it. They're going to look and say, you act this way in the community, but you don't seem like you like each other at all. (laughs) It seems very awkward, and you can feel that presence too. So as a church, we have to be united in Christ's love. And it should be pretty easy and simple um, with this one mindset. We often get it confused, but the mindset is that we're all on the same playing field. And what that means is like we're all 
equal. Like we're all on this flat surface. No one's more elevated. And we all don't deserve to be on that field. And this is why. One word, and it's sin. That is why we were on the same playing field. If we read verse 10, it says, For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Okay, so a question to you. Has anyone in here ever sinned once before? I'll raise my hand. If you don't raise your hand, like, we'll have a talk, and I need to figure out how you're so amazing and, like, how you do it. But I've done at least one, you know. I'm not going to tell you about all the other ones, but I'll admit one. You know, sometimes I lie. Sometimes I'm, I'm a little quick to, to speak rude things and, and, and not merciful. So, you know, there's a few to you. I'll, I'll admit a few. But here it says if we've broken one, which some of you, some of you raise your hands, at least some of you have broken one. The rest of you are perfect. Um, but if you've broken one, you are just as guilty as a person who has broken a thousand, two thousand, a million. One sin creates a separation. One sin makes us not worthy to be in the presence of God. It creates a separation from him. So whether you've made just one in your life, which props to you, but if you're more like me, it's in the thousands. And I continue to fail, and I continue to mess up. And that's where we all are. That's how we're all on the same playing field. So if we have that mindset, right? Okay, all right, done. I get it. Like, we're all on the same playing field. Yeah, I've sinned. I'm just like that person. Yeah. Why do we create this list of, like, sins that are less bad than the others? Like, I get it. Like, one doesn't sound as bad as, like, murder. But oftentimes it's, like, little sins that we're like, okay, well, you know, I know so-and-so has been doing this, and, uh, you know, I've been pretty good. I've only lied, like, twice this week, and, you know, only had, like, bad thoughts, like, twice. But, like, man, James... I saw him, like, cussing someone out the other day. Like, what a terrible guy. Like, that didn't happen. I promise you that didn't happen. I would definitely tell you if it did. Um, No, but we we set up lists like that. We're like, hmm, that person's not as good as me. And that's where our discrimination comes in. That's where we start to play favorites a lot of times in the church is we start to say, I'm, I'm better than Juan. I've been better this week. He doesn't deserve to be here, but I do. We start to lose that mindset that we were all on the same playing field because regardless of how many sins each of us had, one makes us equal. One puts us on the same place to say we need him. And this is, the if you don't get anything today, you don't listen to anything today, understand this truth. We were all broken and in desperate need of a Savior I don't think some of you guys heard that because no one said anything. We were all broken and in desperate need of a Savior. Sometimes you can say amen, which means like, yes, I agree, or truly, that's right. More modern today, you can say, ooh, yeah, that's right, that's good. You know, one time I said you could go, ooh, yeah, and I would really like that. It would make me feel better. So, like, let's read that again. We'll try it again. We were all broken and in desperate need of a Savior. Amen. Come on. That's the truth of the gospel, church. If we don't say amen to that, what are we finding joy in? We're in desperate need, and guess what? We were delivered. He offered it. We're in desperate need, and he saw it, and he gave. And it doesn't matter. 
Favorites don't matter. Discrimination doesn't matter. Why should it matter in our lives if Jesus didn't play that favoritism on us and we were in desperate need and he offered grace and forgiveness to us and then why do we do it in people's lives? Why do we, why, why, I'm talking to myself, why am I so quick to judge somebody? Because Christ so freely didn't judge me and I so, so much deserved it. But here's the reality. Like I said, some of us are a little more difficult to love. Anyone know kind of a difficult person to love? It's okay, you can raise your hand. If you know me, you know one. I can often be difficult to love. And I know some people that are a little more difficult to love too. But I think we all are at times because of sin and because we mess up. But this is a really great word. It's a beautiful word, and this is where it comes in. And we read it in Scripture. It's the word mercy. Does anyone know what mercy is? I had to look it up. Like, I knew what it meant, and I've heard it so much. And I could probably, like, use it in a sentence, but I couldn't describe it without saying the word mercy. So I looked it up very simply. It means forgiveness or compassion. It's a pretty, pretty great word. And I have a great story to illustrate the act of mercy. So in marriage, as a husband, you truly get to see mercy of Jesus from your wife. Like, you really do. Like, you mess up continually. You're a turd continually. And your wife is, like, continually showing you Jesus' mercy straight from the Father. I promise you. Like, you will experience that. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, why do you still love me? Like, why? And it's, it's his mercy that he shows. And my wife, Autumn, is a perfect example of that until I get a sniffle. Until one cough comes out of my body, I'm like, <clears throat> she's like, can you stop? Like, I don't know if there's any other husbands in the rooms or, or maybe a wife who's like, yeah, I have no mercy for my husband when he's sick. And, and I've talked to other husbands and they're like, yeah, I don't know what it is, but like, she's so mean to me when I'm sick. And I, I think I discovered it. It's, it's like a competition. They're like, I had a cold for two days. You're out for four. Like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sick. <laughs> like, I don't feel good. Like, I'm sorry. And, and so, like, all through my, li- my life and our marriage, Autumn is this perfect picture of mercy until I get sick. And there's this great story. So every time she gets sick, like, I go to the store. I get, like, crackers because I know she wants to eat crackers. I'll get, like, soup. I'll get, like, six different, like, big Gatorades, like the big ones. And I'll bring them, like, six different flavors and all kinds of other things. And I'll come to her room, and I'll be like, I got you some stuff. What do you want, baby? What do you want? I got you. And she's like, oh, can I have a Gatorade? Thank you. And I'm like, you're welcome. I love you. Get better. And then I leave. When we first moved here, I had the flu. The flu is like the worst. Like you're pretty much miserable for at least five days. It was on day two. I was still feeling pretty terrible. I hadn't really drinking anything. And I, had, I texted Autumn. I was like, hey, could you like bring me a Gatorade or something? I was like, I'm like dying here. Please bring me something. She's like, oh yeah, okay, I'll bring you a Gatorade. And she comes back to the house. I kid you not. Like, you know the small squirt ones? She sets it down. She's like, there, there, I brought you a Gatorade. I was like, you brought me one Gatorade? Like, one. And it was the worst flavor. It was like Gatorade Frost Blue, like the worst flavor. And I was like, okay, whatever, thanks. And she's like, why aren't you better now? And I'm like, it's been two days. I have the flu. And um, so that's kind of funny. But, but truly, you know, I don't ever want Autumn, Autumn sitting here. I don't want you to feel like you don't show me mercy and love. Because truly, truly I do. And I get it when I'm sick. Like, I'm the worst person. Like, you'll ask me a question and I'm like, shut up. 
don't talk. Don't even breathe in my direction. I'm like, everything hurts. Don't even look at me. And so, like, I'm not a nice person, so I get it. Like, I wouldn't want to bring me Gatorade either because I'm probably, like, not very nice. But it's just funny to look at. And, and But truly, like, in marriage, you do get to see mercy from Jesus and your significant other. And, and, and I truly am thankful for that. And, and, and reading through here, getting to experience that in life, I was just reminded because I was sick last week. And um, there's not a lot of mercy in my house at that time on either sides. Um, but in that, we were called to continually show mercy to all people. Like I said, especially within the church. Um, we'll read verse 13 again. This is a pretty heavy one. And it's pretty straightforward. It says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. It's pretty simple, right? But it's also, like, really intimidating. Because I know in my life I lack a lot of mercy. But what he writes here is, like, if you're not showing mercy, if you're not showing forgiveness and compassion to people in your life, you will receive none when judgment comes. You will receive no forgiveness, no compassion when the time comes of judgment if you were not showing it in life today. And that's kind of a heavy thing, and I can resonate on that and kind of get weighed down by, like, the responsibility and kind of feel like, man, I am terrible at this. I can't do it right. And then I carry that, and, and it becomes, like, the task that I have to do instead of, like, the beautiful relationship with Jesus. And what comes from that, like, I don't want us to walk away from this being like, man, I show no mercy. I'm a terrible person. I want us to realize where mercy comes from. The reason, like, I, I wrote in the sermon, like, faith in Jesus produces love is because that's where our love and mercy comes from. That's why it's the mark of a true follower of Jesus is because it's not something we are doing ourselves. It's something we first receive from him. We receive his favor, his grace, his mercy, his love. And in that, it's present in our lives and it goes to others. So don't walk away from here today thinking, man, I've got to do better. In reality, what we have to do is receive it from Jesus first. A lot of times we lack mercy and grace because we're not receiving it from him. We're holding on to a lot of our sins and a lot of our mistakes, and we're like, I just haven't been good enough this week. Oh, I don't like you. I'm so tired of you. I don't want to be around you. And we're carrying our own weights. And really, Jesus says, like, come to me, release those weights. Come and repent. Admit what you've done wrong. Confess it to Jesus. And then what's great about that is we leave it. You don't have to carry it anymore. Because you have received mercy, forgiveness, compassion from him. And in that, then you can take it to other people. And it becomes easy. Because you wake up every day remembering man, I was in desperate need of a Savior, and I am every day, and he saved me. He showed grace and mercy, and he forgave my sins from yesterday. Man, I can't wait to go into the day today. When we wake up with a mindset of, like, the blessing that he offers us, the mercy that he continued to show us, then we go into the day with his mercies, not our mercies. Because, like, when I try to show mine, it's pretty fake. My forgiveness and compassion is pretty limited, and it usually has to do with, like, Maybe it'll make me look good, or maybe I'll get, like, some food out of it. <laughs> I'm a big guy. I like to eat. So, like, 
His mercy is not something we consciously think about. It's something we receive and then go into our day and it pours out of us. So the moment I start thinking, man, I better start showing mercy is the moment I'm not going to show mercy. Because I start pulling myself into the conversation. I start pulling in how I should be doing better instead of coming to Jesus and saying, you have to be the mercy in me because I don't have any. I'm selfish. I mess up, Lord. I need your forgiveness, your grace, and mercy to go before me. We continually receive it, and we have to continually pour it out to other people. The mark of true faith in Jesus is love and mercy, like I said, because it's from him, not our own. As we receive it, and we continue to receive it every day, we then give it to others. It flows out of our lives. As we are filled up with his, we then flow out into other people's lives. It's not from us, and it must come from him. Faith in Jesus produces love. That gives endless, endless mercy. Because where would we be if I didn't have his endless mercy today? So if you're sitting here today and you've never heard this before, you've never heard of the mercies of Jesus, or maybe you're thinking about it, I want to explain it pretty clearly to you. Like I said, we were in desperate need of a Savior if you've sinned once, if you've, if you've committed one sin, you're just as guilty as those who have committed a million. And, and, and we need saving. We are, we are lost, we are broken, and we need to be fixed. And the beauty in Jesus Christ is that he saw our brokenness, and he saw our separation, and he came to this earth, born a man, to die on a cross, to carry your sins so that you can, be, so you can have forgiveness so that you can be saved, so that you can have his mercies every day, so that you can have his love. That's the truth in the gospel today, that Jesus fixed the separation that we created. He brought us near to God if you put your faith in him. And that's why true faith in Jesus produces love. Because, like, I truly believe, like, he is, like we, we say that God is love, so the absence of God is the absence of love. I think that's why a lot of times in the world we see a lot of hate and a lot of brokenness. So today, like, you can receive true love from the Lord today as he offers it freely, freely. His mercies, they're new every day. You read that in scripture, they're new every day. He has new mercies for you. He wants a relationship with you. But as we kind of close and, and, and James comes back up to, to play, I want us to resonate on this scripture as we read it and think about discrimination and playing favorites and treating other people worse and maybe how they shouldn't be treated and not loving people like Jesus does. I want us to think about that as a church. And we're going to have a time of like prayer and response. So the question today I want us to think about, there are a few, is are we as believers full of his love and mercy? Or are we full of judgments and discrimination? Are we full of grace and forgiveness and compassion? Or are we cruel and unforgiving? I want us to pray on those questions to think, am I, am I receiving his grace every day? Am I showing it to other people? Or do I just like hold it all for myself and I'm so cruel and so short and so unwilling to accept people in my life? 
So this time now we're going to pray, you're going to pray to him and maybe seek forgiveness from, from God. Ask, ask, repent of these things, but then also seek forgiveness in this church. Like I said, we must be unified in Jesus. So if there's anyone in here that you need to apologize to or ask for forgiveness from that you've been discriminating to or playing favorites over or just being short and not showing mercy, move in this room and ask for forgiveness. We must be unified. Maybe they are not here and maybe you need to send a text message. No one's gonna judge you for having your phone out, sending a message, asking for forgiveness and showing mercy. Maybe you need to write a note there's pins on the back table. We must have unity in the church. We must be showing mercy and God's love within the church because if not, like, who are we showing it to? We have to be the picture to the world of his love. Maybe this is the first time today you've heard of his mercies and his love. If you have questions, I ask that I will be standing at this back table and my wife Autumn will be standing back there too. It says connect, come and talk to me. If you have questions about like God's love and his mercy and maybe just want to know more, it doesn't mean you have to make a decision today, but it just means you want to talk. Please move today. Please come and talk. Have that conversation. We want you to know that the gospel is hope and truth and life and full of mercy and love. So just spend some time in prayer, reflecting on the scripture, reflecting on how we as believers are showing love and mercy or maybe not. So I'll just offer this time to you.